Coming back from Hawaii, got on the airplane there in Maui, had no trouble, flew to make our connecting flight in uh, Los Angeles. We came into one gate and just kind of had to go right around to the next gate. My wife and daughter are ahead of me, and I had my computer bag with me. We were checking in, and uh, I gave my ticket, and I'm in that little walkway to go onto the plane. And this lady comes, and she grabs me, and she And uh, I don't know why, it was just on the other plane, but you know, okay, let's not fight too much and all. So I told her, okay, here's my bag, but I have to take my computer out because you know that I was an insurance agent and I have all my information there. And it is actually a test on my exam. It's a violation of HIPAA for me to give up my computer. And I told her that. Well, now she grabbed me by the arm because I guess I was being belligerent or something, and she makes me come back out, and I'm sitting there, and somebody's supposed to come and, you know, review me, check me out to make sure I can take this bag on. Well, eventually that happened. As I'm coming back onto the plane, everybody's seated, and I might have been the last person on the plane. And uh, I was the middle seat. You know it's not good when you're coming up to your seat and they're giving the guy next to you that extension that's going way around. I was kind of sitting in the fetal position on that flight. As soon as the plane got up, I stood up and I went to the back and I asked the stewardess, is there some place else I can sit? And they said, we were betting to see how long it took you to stand up. So I ended up standing the entire flight from Los Angeles to Chicago next to the lavatory like this with my iPod on and my headset listening to, you know, whatever I was listening to the whole flight, stewing, getting angrier and angrier with each passing minute. When the flight landed, I don't think my wife and my daughter really realized what had happened to me because they were sitting a little bit different on the airplane than, than I was. We land, we get out, and I'm mad and, you know, forget about this nice vacation we just had, get into the limo, and at this point now my wife has definitely realized that I'm not a happy camper. And she looks at me and she says to me, if you were to die in the next three minutes, what would the last four hours have meant? And I looked at her and I said, won't you at least let me enjoy my anger? <laughs> Thanks, honey. You know, I would actually be happier getting a root canal done than getting on an airplane. I don't like flying on jets. Maybe it's because I have a control issue or something. I don't like the idea of being in a cylinder going 500 miles an hour, you know, 25, 30,000 feet high, where I have no idea what's going on because I'm in the middle of it and I can't see out a window or anything. I don't like that. It's just, I don't know, a personality problem I have that uh, my wife has to deal with. And every now and then she says when I have to fly, I got some pills here for you that'll help you go to sleep or something. <laughs> Make you happier. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, dear Lord, we want to thank you for the Sabbath day that we can be here. Uh, please open up our hearts and minds to hear the message that you have for us this morning. Amen. July 31st, Sunday night. There were a lot of booings and jeering going on from every nook and cranny of Wrigley Field. The Cubs were down. It's the 12th inning. Jason Hayward comes up. He hits a double. The next batter, Wilson Contreras, hits a nice deep fly ball to move Jason Hayward over to third base. From there, 
This is an interesting game. This is an interesting game. Earlier in the game, the bases were loaded. The Cubs brought in a pitcher who got three outs that inning. And then he was rewarded, now it's a pitcher, rewarded to go to the outfield where he made a spectacular catch to prevent a double. So this is a unique game. But now it's the end of the game. Jason Hayward's on third base. And Joe Madden decides that his pinch hitter is going to be John Lester, a pitcher. How many times have you heard of a pitcher being a pitch hitter? Usually the pitcher is somebody you want to pitch around, you want them to go away, but he's the pitch hitter. He squared away and he bunted the ball, a suicide squeeze, the runners scored, the game's over, the Chicago Cubs won 7-6. to six. At the end of the game, they asked Joe Madden, why would you put a pitcher to pitch hit? And he said, because he can do that. That was his job. He said it very matter-of-fact, without any concern. That was his job. He can do that. So now, let me ask you this question. What were you doing, what, two and a half, three weeks ago? Watching the game, right? Our Chicago Cubs were in the World Series. And, uh, you know, we're up five to, no or five to one. And here it is, the fifth inning, and they, they were showing how our pitcher... Um, was throwing balls that seemed like they weren't being called balls and strikes correctly. So John Madden has to make the decision. It's a consequence of the, uh, the umpiring to pull out Hendricks and put in his new pitcher, uh, John Lester. So he puts him in. And then we start to see things starting to unravel. There's a wild pitch. Two runs are scored. In fact, did you, did you see that where it hit our catcher in the head? We had a new catcher, too. Who does that? You know? And now we're starting like, okay, we're still good. Getting a little nervous here. We're still good. And then later in the game, he brings in our ace reliever with that 104-mile-per-hour fastball. This is going to be it. He's going to save the day for us, right? Oh, my. He gives up a home run. The game is tied. You know, we're all nervous. What happened to your fingernails? Were they gone? Manicures are probably going, okay, tomorrow we're going to have a good day here. Um, so he brings in this pitcher. A home run's hit. There's, in biblical terms, weeping and gnashing of teeth, renting a clothes. You know, probably Psalms would have been written if this had been, you know, a few thousand years ago as to the suffering we're enduring. You know, what could have been, what should have been, is now all gone again. You can just imagine it, you know. But then, oh, thank God, the heavens opened up, it rained, we had a 17-minute delay, you know, the teams retired to their clubhouse, and our, our players got together and decided that they were going to have each other's back. They came out and very professionally won that game. And when... Uh, Chris Bryant picked up that ground ball, threw it over to Rizzo, and the game was over. Everything was right in Cub Nation, which I think we're all part of here, right? So the Cubs won the World Series. They were very professional about it. Part of the Cubs doing this is that they had to be broken down. A lot of the Cubs players said they didn't really even know about the curse of the billy goat. So they were ignorant of that. You know, they were like little children here for, for this. You know, they carried themselves professionally. It was no sweat to them. No sweat to them. Maybe to us, 
it would have been. But for them, it was no sweat. The term no sweat, that can mean with low difficulty or no difficulty, very easy um, to do, uh, low stress. It means you're cool, you're calm, you're collective. And I think I'm sweating underneath here. Thank you for the, uh, the ceiling fan, you know. Doesn't it help to know the end from the beginning? If you had known how that game back in July would have come out, you know, would you be sweating over it to see that John Lester, a pitcher, could bunt home the winning run? I know we were all sweating, all those who are Cub fans, in the middle of the game to see what was going on, to see it's going to happen again. We're going to lose it. You know, the curse, I can hear that billy goat warming up in the back, you know, but it didn't happen. It was no sweat to these players who were out there. They didn't know any better, maybe. It was going to be something simple that they could win. God said, I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. We know the end here, right? They're going to go to Egypt. They're going to come back. It's very definite. Like we had the song today, you shall behold him. It's not maybe, it was shall. It was definite. Here we have a definite thing. You're going to go and you're going to come back. The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful while they were in Egypt. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Very successful there. But now the Egyptians are afraid of them. So they enslave them. They're ruthless with them because they're afraid. The Lord recognized the suffering of the people in, in Israel, there in Egypt. He wanted to bring them back to this land flowing with milk and honey. He says, I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into a land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, the Jesuits, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses and Aaron were brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed signs before the people, and they believed. They believed. Did you believe the Cubs were going to win? Yeah? Oh, we've got somebody very confident out here. You know, in our household, my wife and I are rolling all over the floor. Oh, no! <laughs> you know, um, they believed. They knew the outcome. They were going to go back to that land flowing with milk and honey. So now, the Lord comes and he has to perform many signs for them. How many plagues were there? Does anybody remember? Ten plagues. They have all these plagues, and the final one is the, uh, the death of the firstborn. The Israelites pack up to leave. And after a little while, the Egyptians realized this isn't quite what they wanted. The Egyptians, all pharaohs, horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they encamped uh, by the sea. And then they start whining and complaining. Now remember, they know the end from the beginning, right? They know the Lord is going to bring them back to the land flowing of, with milk and honey. But they start getting all concerned about this, and they said to Moses, it was because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die. 
What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Remember, they believed. They knew the outcome. I, life would have been a whole lot easier if I had known the Cubs were going to win. You know. But they believed here. Did God lie to them? So, God goes to them. He gives them manna, water from the rock to sustain them in the desert. What was there to overcome? They were going to go to Canaan. It should have been a no-sweat situation, right? That's what it should have been. Doesn't it help to know the end from the beginning? We know the end from the beginning. When you read a book, if you're like me, I'm a cheater. When I open up a book to read, uh, you know, usually in the first few chapters, then I have to cheat and go to back <laughs> because I need to know the end. When I find out what's going on, does it come out okay? And if it comes out okay, I'm okay. You know, I can enjoy my book. You know, I listen to a lot of books on CD right now, so it, it really helps um, when I drive. Our daughter just came home from Lincoln, and my wife at times says to me, how can you drive so far by yourself like that? And I, because I have a book, and that since I don't know the end from the beginning, you know, I stay awake, and I, it's easy to drive for me at that point. Now, in our Bible, we know the end from the beginning. John, let's think about John. In Revelation 1, 19, John is told, Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place. What is now and what will take place. So here's the end from the beginning. Remember, God says to the Israelites, I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. We know the outcome. Here's the problem, though. We know the outcome. The outcome's not the problem. The problem is we're here in the middle, right? And this is where we have that stress. We're uncomfortable being in the middle because sometimes we can't see the end from the beginning. You know, I know, which is why I don't like to fly, I know when I get on that plane, it's going to land. I'm very confident in that. You know, I know when I go in for that root canal, I'm going to be okay. In a day or two, I'm going to be eating again, and I'm going to be happy. I know that. I know the end from the beginning. Now, here we are with the Israelites. Moses is 120 years old. The Israelites are getting ready to cross over into the promised land, and Moses calls them together. Their life is about to change. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And anytime you have a major life change, there's a stress involved in, the, in it, is there not? You're uncertain about what the future holds. During the last 40 years, they've gotten comfortable in the desert. You know, maybe let's stand up here, walk around a little bit, and settle down and, and whatever. But they're comfortable in that setting in the desert. And, you know, they've been there. They've lost their families for the most part. The young people, their parents that left Egypt were no longer there. So they're going to cross over into a land that's now uncertain to them. And Moses calls Joshua. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go, for you must go with this people into the land the Lord swore to their ancestors to give to them. It's repeated again in Joshua 1, verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. 
Here's a road map, a GPS. Lisi, last night, did we have the GPS on in the car? There we go, you know. It's a road map to go from here to there. Be strong and courageous. Do not turn from neither the right nor the left. In verse 9, have I not commanded you, once again, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. When you have stress in your life, don't you just kind of want something to help you out? Truth be told, do you miss your parents when something would go wrong, your mom would hug you and call you and say, it'll be okay, your dad would take you out and help you out with whatever it is, and we're missing that. But here now, the Lord is saying, I will be with you wherever you go. Don't worry about things. I'll be with you. With God leading, who can stand in our way? But now, this is interesting. This text at the end says to be strong and courageous. It's actually speaking to the leaders of Israel. Okay? To be strong and courageous. Leaders, could how the leaders lead be contagious to the people to make them feel comfortable or not? So here's the interesting thing when you think about it, because he's speaking to the leaders of Israel. He also could be speaking to us, each one of us, even here today. The end of Matthew. Now we all know this verse right here, Matthew 29, or 28, 19, and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I will surely, and I, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Even though Joshua, that's being spoken to the leaders, it's actually speaking to us. Because if we follow Christ's command to us, are those just words? We believe those words. We can recite those words. And most of you were probably reciting them in your head as I was reading. Maybe you were a word or two ahead of me as I went along. But are they just words? Are we afraid to apply those words? God is with us. It should be a no-sweat situation. Cause and effect, kind of. In Revelation 1, 7 and 8, it says, Look, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So it shall be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. We know the end from the beginning. We know that the Lord's going to come. So what's to sweat about with this? Remember I told you I don't like to fly? Don't like to do it. Although I'm happier in a smaller airplane. The smaller the better for me. But I don't like to fly. This past summer I had to go down to Fort Lauderdale. It was kind of a spur of the moment deal. On the way back, my tickets were, I wasn't even there, I don't think 24 hours. On the way back, I went through security. I took off my shoes, I put everything in the tray, it went through security, and as I went through, you know, uh, Mark's in trouble, I forgot to take off my belt, and that set it off. So they took me aside, they said, well, we can patch you down out here in front of everybody. I didn't want to do that, so they take me into a back room. 
And uh, they pat me down. Another guy comes and he pats me down. I don't know if he was a trainer or whatnot, but I'm just being as quiet and as polite as I can possibly be. Then they take my hands and they did something with my hands, and guess what? I failed. <laughs> I failed. I don't know why I failed, but I failed. <laughs> so now I've got to go get somebody else. This other guy comes, and uh, they retest my hands, they test my eyes, they test my nose, my mouth, my elbows, my knees. They made me take off my shoes, they tested my socking feet, then they made me take off my socks, and they tested my feet. And, uh, you know, I'm like, oh boy. And they took my computer bag, and they tested my phone, and my iPad, and my computer keys, and everything. And then they all go to the side, and I'm left in this room by myself. And I kept hearing tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail. Your mind starts wondering, you know. I'm thinking, oh no, they're going to send me to some island, someplace where they just keep all these kinds of people, you know. My wife and daughter are not going to know what happened to me. They're going to think Scotty beamed me up or something. You know, in a couple years, they're going to file for my life insurance, and Social Security is going to say, well, there wasn't any contributions at this date here in 2017, so legally dead. Where they're sending this poor guy, he won't even have a phone to call. I'm just teasing. I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking that, you know, in a few hours, I'm going to be home. Everything's going to be okay. You know, I knew I hadn't done anything wrong. I'm actually sweating more here, you know. Um, than I was that day. And so after about 45 minutes, they passed me on through. I got on my flight, and I came home. My wife told me, she goes, you know, Mark, it's probably because you made your reservation within the short period of time. You really didn't have any luggage, and after all, look at that face. You know. But I wasn't worried about it. It was a no-sweat situation for me. Here's a question I have for you. In your life, is it a no-sweat situation? Do you trust that God is with you? Do you trust in your salvation? Are you like that college kid who hasn't prepared, who goes in for the test and is praying that the test will be fine for them? Or are you like that college kid who has so totally prepared the test is almost a non-issue? You know. Once again, the problem is not that we don't know the end. The problem is that where are we living? We're living here in the middle. And that's what causes the stress, you know, for us. You know, there's a few Bible verses to help us here in the middle. You might have a few. I'm going to give you a few. And if you want to raise your hand and tell me, hey, I've got one, that's fine too. Uh, let's take a look at Matthew 7, verse 21. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's simple, to do the will of your Father. Growing up, you knew what your parents expected of you, right? And you knew the consequences if you didn't. You know. So if you did what your parents expected of to you, you know, you had a good time. If you didn't, you were usually in trouble with them. So simply just do the will of God. And we really know what the will of God is. In Matthew 18, verse 3, it says, And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Remember I said the Cubs? Some of them were like little kids. They didn't know about the Billy Goat curse. They started from fresh. You know, as a child, we're starting from fresh. A clean slate, so to speak. So we have to put these things away that we have in our lives. In Luke 20, or 17, 21, it says, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It is within you. No one can get me my salvation. I have to do it myself. It's me and my relationship with God, with Christ. No one can stand in my place. It is within me. I can't blame somebody else for my success or failures in that area. It's within me. John 3, 5, it says, Jesus answered, Very verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We have to start all over again with our relationship. And really, that's every day. That's every day. We start with our relationship with God every day. John 3.16, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Believe in him. You know, it's interesting. Um, at work, I was talking about um, salvation to one of the individuals at the office I work at, and the comment was, you know, I'm a good person. I don't rape, pillage, plunder. I don't do anything like this. I'm a good person. You know, I'm okay. Where's that relationship there? There's no relationship. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Once again, you know, if we think about the Cubs, when uh, they brought in Theo Epstein, what did he say he was going to have to do? He was going to have to break this team down and start all over again. And start all over again. We have to take the bad part of our lives out. And we know what that is. You know, where does any of this thing say that to get into heaven you have to build a mighty stadium? You know, lead an army into battle. Hit that grand slam in the, home, uh, in the World Series or catch that final ball and throw it to Rizzo for the final out. It doesn't say anything about that. It really is more simple. It's in our own personal world where we're at. And if we apply that, life will be no sweat to us. Remember, we know the end from the beginning. Revelation gives us another roadmap here. In 21 verse 7, it says, Nothing pure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then in Revelation 22, 14, and 16, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexual immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. Here's our roadmap again. It's very simple. I mean, we know the difference between right and wrong. We know what's expected of us. You know, this life that we're living right now in the middle should really be a no-sweat situation for us. We should have a no-sweat situation with those around us, with our salvation, with our relationship with God. Revelation 22.7 says... The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the tree, take the free gift of water of life.
It's a very, very simple situation. We know the end from the beginning. We know what God expects of us. And when we do that, we love the Lord, we put God first, we put away the old each and every morning, life will be a no-sweat situation.